So this morning, we're going to be in Job 13, and as you saw the preview email go out, you might have saw the title of this passage and been like, Dave, really? (laughs) The first thing that came to my mind when I was preparing, just kind of reading through the chapters that Pastor Russ gave me to, to go through, seeing, okay, where will the Lord have you end up, Dave? Somewhere between chapters 8 and 14. When you read Job, you're just like, especially that first chapter and then the second chapter, you're just like, oof, oof, oof. It just gets, it's like, dude, how much can this poor guy take? And all of a sudden, my mind just went to Sylvester the cat, suffering succotash. Every time something didn't go his way, suffering succotash. Now, I had a very sheltered childhood, very pain childhood. I'd never got to see Saturday morning cartoons. I had piano lessons every Saturday morning. (laughs) Every Saturday, without fail. And my parents, they were committed. God bless you, Mom and Dad, as you're watching. All my friends are talking about Looney Tunes galore, and so I had to make that time up in my late 20s, I'm sorry, my late teens through my 20s. And yes, I did make that time up, and then some. And so that hit my head, and I was like, wow, okay, Lord, where are you taking this? Is this from you? (laughs) And some would say that I'm gone from Looney Tunes to the Looney Bin, but time will tell. So me being kind of the history buff, I said, I wonder if there's a history to this phrase, suffering succotash. So there is. <laughs> Thank you, Google. The history of suffering succotash is as follows. In the mid-1800s, during the Victorian era, God bless those Victorian people. They built awesome houses, and then all kinds of cool stuff came from their era. There was a rejection of all profanity. So people developed a wide variety of slang to avoid swearing on the holy names of God. So like criminy, um, crikey is the Irish say, and even some British. All these different words instead of saying the name of Jesus Christ and using it in a profane way. So when hard times would come, they would say, suffering, Savior. And all of a sudden, that wasn't kosher to say either. So what did they come up with? Suffering succotash. <laughs> and then it was hijacked, rightfully so, by Mel Blanc and the writers of Looney Tunes, and here we are today. So anytime there was a hard time, anytime trials or sufferings would say those fine, upright, stoic Victorians would say suffering succotash. And as Paul Harvey would say, for those of you who know him, and that's the rest of the story. Good day. So suffering Savior, and Jesus is referred to as the man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, verse 3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So in Pastor Russ's unpacking of chapters 1 and 2 last week, when Job is just sitting there in the ground, completely broken, taking shards of pottery, scraping sores off of his body, after shaving his head, pouring dust over himself and ashes in just utter, just kind of defeat, but also in repentance and confession, his three friends come up to him and they barely recognize him. And what do they see? They see a man of sorrows. They see a man acquainted with grief. And they see someone that they would like to hide their face from because he was just that repugnant at that point. Job was not alone. His Savior could identify. One of the things to let you know is that whatever you may be going through, you are not alone. Your Savior can't identify. We're going to read the passage here, and if you would, please stand with me as we read this. This is going to be Job 13, verses 13 through 22. Let me have silence, this is Job speaking, and I will speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there that will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, that I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. Thanks. You can be seated. The title of this passage here, this chapter in Job 13, is Job continues, Still I will hope in God. Before we go any further... There's a, um, there's a quote that I found as well. But before that, has anyone ever heard of the comedian Tim Hawkins? Do I have any Tim Hawkins fans here this morning? The guy is a born-again believer. I love the guy. Actually, I think one of the funniest guys I've ever met and heard. He has a bit where he talks about someone going up to him and saying, Oh, you're such a rock star. Oh. Just in awe. How many hotels you get to stay in, man? There's got to be such cool staying in all these different hotels. And he's like, no, it's not a hotel. It's a mm, hotel. And there's a big difference between the M and the followed by hotel. The motel is the human fishbowl where people walk by your room and there's that little crack in the drapes that won't shut. And they're like peering in to see what's going on inside. So yeah, there's a big difference in the motel and the hotel. And here's the phrase. Someone once said, for the believer in Jesus, from the perspective of eternity, 
the worst suffering this life could hold would look like one night in a bad motel. That has a lot of truth in it. And sometimes it seems like a really, really bad motel. But again, in perspective, for the believer in Jesus Christ, this is just temporary. See, God's perspective on suffering is so infinitely different. He doesn't just look and see the here and now of suffering. He sees the end result. He doesn't just see all the pain that's involved. He sees the refinement of you, his child, that is promised. Well, Dave, can we skip the refinement? If you skip the refinement, you have skipped everything. The refinement is him shaping us and who he's created us to be. And just kind of going through this book of Job, there's a pastor out of Hawaii that Janet and I watch. His name is J.D. Farag. Amazing, amazing guy. Grew up in Lebanon. He's Egyptian in ethnicity. Grew up Muslim, and when Jesus saved him, he has a Muslim name, but he changed it to JD, which means Jesus' disciple. And his theme of Job, which I, after reading this, I just have to be like, yeah, that's it, is simply this Does what you have have you, or does the giver of what you have have you? This week's memory verse has been Job 12, verse 13. With God are wisdom and might. He is counsel and understanding. So God alone is wise. God alone gives perfect counsel. And so, Christian, I have a question for you. When God gives you those God-given opportunities to give our friends, our loved ones, even strangers that we might just have met. When he gives us those opportunity to give them counsel, what do we tell them? Where do we go for wisdom? What is the message that we give to them? Well, James 1.5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So Christian, when you come to a point where you have that privilege to sit, speak, walk with someone in their pain, in their season of trial, in their season of suffering, go to the Lord to see what he would have you say. And go to the Lord to see what he would have you not say. And as Pastor Rutz talked about last week, his three friends started fantastic, Job's friends. They just came and they sat with him for a week saying nothing, just mourning with him. And mourning is okay. We need to mourn. We need to grieve. That is a God-given emotion 
We're not to live there. But it's a place that we're at temporarily. Even Ecclesiastes 7, I believe it says, says a sad face is good for the heart. So when we go to the Lord looking for wisdom, looking for counsel as to how we can walk and help someone who is going through an unspeakable time of pain, God's word, his spirit, will give us those words. Again, Job's friends, they started well, and then what happened? They opened their mouths. <laughs> what they became becomes a term called well-intentioned dragons. You mean to help, but sometimes the words aren't thought or prayed over. Sometimes the actions aren't thought about or prayed over. And sometimes they aren't what the, what the Lord would have us say or do. Here's a brief little synopsis of what it's like. Job says in chapter 3, the writers of It's a Wonderful Life, I believe, most likely got their script, this is just my thought, of George Bailey saying, I wish I'd never been born from Job in chapter 3. It would have been better if I'd never been born. How does his friend reply? Chapters 4 and 5, he rebukes Job. Thank you very little. Job answers in chapter 6 and 7, answers Eliphaz. Chapter 8, Bildad throws his hat into the ring. My turn. Another rebuking Job. Two chapters, Job spends again answering his friend. Chapter 11, Zophar, not to be outdone, he's going to throw his hat in the ring. He rebukes Job. Three chapters now, Job answers him. And then as you continue reading through Job, you see two more rounds of the same. Really? So what kind of counsel are we giving to those that are hurting? Again, we need to seek the Lord, what he would have us say, what he would have us not say. And when you yourself or your loved one is going through a tumultuous time, what do you do? What do you say? Guys, we're kind of fix-it people. We're problem solvers. And when we can't solve the problem, it gets really frustrating. And when we get frustrated, we get ticked. And when we get ticked, we get angry. When we get angry, it's the Incredible Hulk without the green, without the size increase. And that's a dangerous place to be. What do you do when God isn't answering your fervent prayers on our timetable? Searching scripture, these two words just keep coming back. Trust him. Trust him. Dave, you don't understand. I bet, no, trust him. But Dave, this, no, trust him. I can't. What do you do when you can't? 
you cry out to your Savior. And you say, I need you. If anything, calm the storm, maybe. He will. Trust him. Best thing you can do is pray. If you can't pray out loud, just pray. Don't worry about the words. Don't worry about the flowery words. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thinking that that's going to make it any better. I know sometimes when people get in troubles, they go through these long, eloquent prayers. But when things are going great, it's, Lord, hey, fist bump. Thanks for this day, man. Thanks for the blessings. And all of a sudden, when hard times hit, we're like, dear Heavenly Father, who sits above the highest circle of the earth, thinking that us giving him more and more descriptive accolades are going to make him hear us better? Not necessarily. In fact, I doubt it. Even if all you say is, if things are going well, and you say, Lord, thank you, it's, what, it's what's coming from your heart that matters. It's not the words. If it's the words, then anyone could do it. But it's your heart. That's what matters. You go to prayer, you go to his word for promises that you can hang on to. And here's the cool thing. I know a lot of you know this, but do you truly Know it. God's promises are eternal. They are eternal. You can stake your very life on them. Another thing to do to prepare yourself is you put on that full armor of God. You put it on when the times are good so that you remember to put it on when the times are not good. Men's group, we went through this. Family night was September through into November, I think, through just spiritual warfare and going through the armor of God because too many Christians, me included, for many, many years did not put that on. And we need to. Paul says it twice in Ephesians 6, verse 11, verse 13, because if we didn't get it in verse 11, it's going to hit us again in verse 13. Put on the full armor of God. Put on that entire armor of God because you are in a fight, Christian. You are in a fight. And if you don't want to acknowledge it, my heart breaks for you. Get in the game. You're already in it, so suit up. And when you have that full armor on, it doesn't mean that you're just like, troubles and trials, I'm ready for thee. No, it's not like that at all. It will knock you down. It will lay you out. But what happens? You get up. You get up again. Because the Lord himself will give you strength to get through this. So now we see how Job's friends see him, right? In these, these chapters here. 
You know what's cool? <laughs> Isn't it freeing to know that who we are, our identity, doesn't come from what other people think of us and how they see us? Isn't that freeing? I am a child of God. And I am a whole lot of mess. But God. And when he calls me home, I will no longer be a whole lot of mess. I'm going to be the Dave that he created and the Dave that he knew in eternity past before the foundations of the world and the Dave that he chose. And Christian, that is you. You want to know who you are? Ephesians 1. You want to know what your inheritance is? Ephesians 1. Because who's your older brother? Jesus himself. Go to him for your identity. Go to him for your worth. Let's look at how God sees Job. <laughs> Job is his guy. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Satan is allowed into God's courtroom. Yes, allowed. Satan doesn't have free access to the throne of God. Thank the Lord. And he's going around searching to and fro about who he can seek to steal, kill, devour, all that stuff that he likes to do. <laughs> and what do we see? God voluntolding Job. <laughs> Have you considered my servant Job? Ooh, really, Satan says. Mr. Burns, excellent. You're going to let me have free reign in his family? God gives him boundaries. You can't do this. We see what happens. Job doesn't lose his faith. He doesn't curse God. Satan goes back to the throne room of God, as we saw last week. And God voluntold, volunteers, voluntold Job again. Round two. You can strike him with whatever you like to spare his life. And in here we see Satan can only do what God allows. He does not have free reign on us. Praise God. So God is offering Job up for testing. Job is handpicked by God. How would you like to be handpicked by God? <laughs> Being handpicked to endure suffering, to endure trials, to endure hardships. And the beautiful thing about our Lord is that when he picks you to go through something for his honor, for his glory, for your heavenly benefit, it's an honor. And that is so difficult to even start to comprehend. Because Jesus, at that point, he promises to not only walk with you, but to carry you through the whole way.
How else did God see Job? He counted him as worthy of being tested. There's something to rejoice in, guys. When you're his guy, when you're his girl, and he's handpicked you, he's counting you worthy of going through suffering for his namesake. And again, this is to refine, to prune you, to shape you, to mold you into who he's created you to be. All the while being a source of comfort for those who are currently going through hardships and trials and sufferings. You are God's ambassador to all those who are going through hurtful times and seasons as well. He is using you for his purpose. And when you look at it from that perspective and truly seek the heart of God on this, this is where the steadfast love of the Lord that never stops will fully envelop you in your heart. And that peace that passes all understanding will flood your soul. And then you experience the goodness of God. You experience the mercy and the grace of God. So we see a little glimpse of how God sees Job. Now, how does Job see God? Job 13, 15a. Though God kill me, I will hope in him. <laughs> Powerful words. This is the bedrock, the foundation of Job's life. This is where he lives. Jesus told the parable about the wise man that built his house on the rock and the foolish man that built his house on the sand. And not if the storms came, but when the storms came and they beat against the house. Foolish guys was washed away. While the wise man on the rock foundation was still there and solid. Job's hope is built on this eternal promise. And because Job lives here on this solid foundation, because he dwells here, because he has staked his very life and his relationship with his God, trusting that his God is going to carry him through any and all trials, tribulations, everything, every suffering, he's going to bring him faithfully through to the end to paradise, to heaven, Abraham's bosom. This is why he can say, even if he slay me, still will I trust him. Because if you look back in Job 2, verse 10, Job talking to his wife that said, curse God and die. That's not wise counsel, but I can understand it, where it's coming from. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And right after that, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job is asking God, why are you allowing such unspeakable pain and suffering into my life? But you know what he's not asking? 
Read the entire book of Job and show me where it once says where he's asking for physical healing. Not once. It's like, really? That's my go-to line. Not once does he ask for physical healing. The maturity of Job's relationship with his God is such as this. He is resting so much. He, he's, not, he's not leaning. If I'm leaning on this stool, I still got part of my weight in case this thing collapses, then I'm like, whoa, caught myself. No, he's like fully planking on, on the Lord. He's like, you are the only one who can lift me up. You are the only one that can get me through this life. You're the only one that can give me my very next breath. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He understands and he expects not only the good, but the quote-unquote bad from his God. In the maturity of his faith and his walk with God, it's like the Holy Spirit, as I'm reading through that, he says to me, Dave, where do you match up with Job on this? It's like, oh, that hurt. Thanks for that holy cinder block, Lord. Where do I match up with Job on this? He's lost all his children, all his possessions. He's not even asking God for the comfort and the loss of his children. What it comes down to Job asking in this passage is this. God, are we good? Are you and I good or are we not good? That's what he's asking. And it could be why Job never once curses God. He never even thinks about stepping a toe on that path because he loves his God too much and he trusts his God too much. One thing that we need to ask ourselves when we're reading God's word is this. Where is Jesus in the passage? Because every story of the Bible, of this inspired, holy, supernatural book from the Lord, this love letter to us, every story breathes Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Blessed be, this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth, second letter. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There's a whole lot of comfort going on here, isn't there? Elvis would be proud. There is a whole lot of comfort because this is how we get through these 
these seasons and these times of hurt. They will be coming. They are coming. But where is our hope? Where do we get comfort from? And as that hymn says, hallelujah, what a savior. Jesus suffered so much more than we could ever even imagine for us. And that while we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were still enemies of him, he died for us. Go back to Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He carried them all the way to the cross, and he nailed them there, and he put them to death. And then he rose victoriously on that third day. And what does Jesus say? Matthew 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you. Oh, you know what? Whenever you read... If your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, whenever you read those, I encourage you, read those out loud. Read it out loud yourself. Those words are for you too. So as I'm reading it, Dave, I have said these things to you, Dave. That in me, Dave, you may have peace. In the world, Dave, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Dave. I have overcome the world. That brings a whole new meaning to it, guys. By the way, that's another promise that you can hang on to. And here's something that should hopefully encourage every believer here in this room today. Those of you watching online, those in the overflow room. One of the most encouraging things about suffering is to see how God uses it not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of others around us and those who are watching us. There's a story I want to share with you. There's a boy named Blaine. He was a grade school student whose leg was amputated just below the knee due to cancer. Shortly after Blaine's surgery, Ted... A high school teacher was involved in a four-wheeler accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. While Ted, the teacher, was working hard in rehab, he received this letter from grade school student Blaine, who had also heard about his action, accident. Dear Coach T, my name is Blaine. You may have heard about me, but I have cancer. I'm going through some chemo, and I know I'm going to lose my leg, so I know what you're going through. I bet it's hard knowing that you may not walk again, but keep praying for God to give you peace over this. He's given me peace. Never give up on God and keep praying for a miracle. Never stop because he is always in the miracle business. Remember I love you and I'm praying for you. Love, Blaine H. Then as a PS, Blaine added, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. One last afterthought, scribbled at the bottom of the page. Blaine wrote, remember, God always has the best plans for you. And in that light, James 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy my brothers, my sisters, 
when you meet or when you encounter or when you fall into trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Why do we need its full effect? Glad you asked. James keeps going. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trust is the key. Oswald Chambers said, it is much easier to do something than to trust in God. We mistake panic for inspiration. And that's why there are so few fellow workers with God and so many workers for him. We would far rather work for God than believe in God. There's a meme I saw on Facebook, and it's kind of encouraging when you can find something that's not only encouraging, but biblical on Facebook. The deepest level of worship is praising God through the pain. Thanking God through the trials. Trusting him when we're tempted to lose hope. And loving him even when he seems distant. At my lowest, God is my hope. At my darkest, God is my light. At my weakest, God is my strength. At my saddest, God is my comforter. In Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we, when we finally realize that God is truly the source of all things in our life and given to us by him, it's only then we can truly know how immeasurably, immeasurably is the depth of his love and his goodness and his mercy. And then I heard this phrase as we're closing out here. I'm going to read the lyrics to a song here too. I saw this. It said, never once has Jesus ever said, understand me. He only says, trust me. Isaiah 55 talks about how our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. Don't try and understand them. We won't be able to. It's good that way that we don't. Trust his heart. There's a song that's meant a lot to Janet and me and our family. It's called There is a God by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. These are the lyrics. If there is a God who holds the whole world in his hand... Then when were you? Then where, then where were you when mine came crashing down? If there is a God who tells the sun and the stars where to shine, then where were you when all the lights went out? These are questions from my heart, desperate to know just where you are. Right now I can't see you, but I'm choosing to believe. But there is a God who's never left me. And here in the hurting, you're still with me. You've carried me this far, and you won't stop now. Well, there's a God who sees my sorrow, catches my tears in a bottle. You're still working even when I can't see how. There's pain, 
There is broken, there is hurt, but he's the hope I'm standing on. There is a God who promised me he has a plan, and I'm protected by his hand through flood and fire. There is a God who's working all things for my good, sometimes slower than I think he should, but his ways are higher. So when I'm looking forward to the day, when I see the purpose for this pain, oh, but until I do, I'm choosing to believe There is a God who won't let me walk through this valley alone. No, I'm not alone. There is a God who won't let me walk through this valley alone. And then there is a God who's never left me, who's here in the hurting. You're still with me. You've carried me this far, and you won't stop now. There's a God who sees my sorrows, catches my tears in a bottle. You're still working even when I can't see how. There is pain, there is broken, there is hurt, but he's the hope I'm standing on. There is a God. So as we close out, does what you have have you? Or does the giver of what you have have you? Are you going all in to Jesus and just betting it all on him? Or are you just kind of holding things back, flipping a chip or two, and I'm going to see how this rides. But Jesus, it's all or nothing. Are you longing to see Jesus face to face? Are you longing for that day when he calls us home? Or is it, yeah, I can't wait to see Jesus, but Jesus, can you just have the rapture just kind of hold off? Can you just... Give me some more time here. There's, you know, things I want to do, things I want to see. That necessarily isn't wrong. We want to be able to do things for the honor and glory of God. But for me personally, Lord, punch my ticket, call me in. I want to be with you. But Lord, until you do, I want to be doing what you've called me to do. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, today's your day of salvation. We're going to close in prayer. I'll just give you the ABCs and how to know Jesus as Savior because that is the most important thing that you can ever put your faith and trust in is the person of Jesus Christ and his work on that cross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I pray these words made sense. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for your spirit that makes intercession for me, that hopefully translates these words into hearing so that this stuff made sense. Thank you for your servant Job. Thank you for his steadfastness and his sniper-like focus on you, his Lord, his God. Our God, the same God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You didn't just offer Job up to the enemy and leave him be and leave him high and dry. You had him in your grip the whole time. And that's the lesson for us. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior, All they got to do is admit, acknowledge that they're a sinner, confess and repent of their sins. 
Dear Lord, I have sinned. I have broken your holy laws. I have grieved your spirit. And then B, believe. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his rising again from the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan. And then C, calling upon the name of the Lord as their Savior. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is a rock-solid promise from you, Jesus. We love you and we trust you, Lord. We need you. Humbly ask your blessing the rest of this day. In your name, amen.